If you would, please go ahead and stand for the reading of Scripture. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given to me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given to me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. And this morning we're talking about membership. That's what it says on the front of the bulletin, and, and that's basically true. We are going to talk about membership, but I want to talk about a specific aspect of membership, the unity of the members of the body of Christ. And I think it's important, um, or at least it seems important to me in this moment, uh, just to communicate that I know that not all of us are members. Some of us are guests, um, and you know, uh, some of us are visitors, and so... The, the spirit of this or the, the, the posture of my heart is not uh, for everybody to walk out if you're going, oh, Pastor Ben really wants us to uh, become members at Calvary. I will allow the Holy Spirit uh, to do the, the convicting that needs to be done, if any needs to be done. So that's not, that's not kind of my spirit, not where I want to go with this this morning. So we're specifically going to talk about unity, and that's a big theme of the passage that Logan just read for us, and we'll return to that in a moment. But first, if you're one of our note-takers... I'll have you know that our single-sentence sermon summary is this. Our membership in the church is based on Jesus, not on our choice or shared opinions. Our membership in the church is based on Jesus, not on our choice or our shared opinions. We'll obviously unpack that as we go. There's four stages to this sermon uh, organized by four questions. Number one, what is membership, just in a broad sense? Number two, what does Jesus say about our unity of membership? Number three, why is our unity in membership a witness to the world? And four, how can our unity in membership be a witness to our community? That's more or less where we're headed, just so you know. Uh, we uh, when I was in Prague, we went to an international church, so it's a bunch of not Czech people, but other people, Americans, Africans, and there was this very sweet uh, and godly woman who was uh, preaching that morning, and I think she spoke for close to an hour before somebody finally flagged her down, uh, and she looked at her watch, and she's like, oh gosh, we'll just be done, we'll just be done, so she just ended it right there, so I won't, I won't talk for that long, um, but I understand how easy it is to get caught up. Uh, mostly also because I like the sound of my own voice. <laughs> but anyway, so firstly then, what is church membership? Uh, very briefly here, but membership means, and it's, I think it's most basic, simple form, membership means to belong to the body of Christ. right? And that word membership comes to us from Paul, who talks about us being like body parts or body members of the, of the body of Christ. And so that's at base what it means. The idea is present throughout the New Testament, not just in the letters of Paul. And it is rooted in one of the central themes of the Old Testament, that the Creator God is making a people for himself. Right? We see that almost immediately with the call of Abraham. 
Because of the death and rising again of Jesus Christ, the door is open for all of humankind to be adopted as sons and daughters of God, to enter into his family. And God's family is this thing that we call the church. And what the church is for is to represent God's kingdom, to point ahead to Christ's return, and to mend the world in the small but significant ways that he tells us to do so. And the Apostle Paul, working off the concept of marriage and of the marriage covenant and this idea of two persons becoming one flesh, he wants us to understand that we have become one flesh with Jesus. That being part of God's family means that you're a body part, a member of Christ. Each of us is a tiny bit, it's kind of a weird picture, but each of us is a tiny bit of living Jesus out and about in the world. And the sharing of Jesus' body and membership also means that we are united to all the other people in the particular church that we attend and also the vast family of God spread across the centuries, continents, and cultures. Church membership means both our union with Christ and our unity with one another. So with those things in mind, let's turn to our passage in John 17. And these verses are the last portion of what is known as Jesus' high priestly prayer. Now, Jesus never uses the word membership here in any translation, uh, but the idea underlays everything that he says. He prays for his people, for God's people, for us. He prays for our union with him and our unity with one another. The unity of the body of Christ is the central theme in these these, uh, verses. And there's not time, unfortunately, to really dig in. I think this is an immense passage, and the things that Jesus says deserve uh, long meditation on all of our part to really, really absorb what it is he's saying here, but I'll make a few brief comments. In verse 24, we're confronted with something about church membership that I think is, is very essential for us to understand, but it's incredibly easy for us to forget. That being a member of the body of Christ is not by our choice. The Father chooses us and entrusts us to Jesus. And Jesus says this in the prayer, Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am. Now, certainly we make a decision somewhere along the line, and I know that that Calvary has a range of opinions about this sort of a thing, and so I don't want to press one particular theological viewpoint improperly. But I think that we can agree that we make a decision somewhere along the line, but the Lord's action always precedes our decision. Uh, For more proof of that, Jesus died 2,000 years ago, so no matter what, the thing that the Lord has done through Jesus always precedes your decision. Verse 24 tells us that membership in the church is not the same thing as membership at Sam's Club or the Scouts or whatever else, which are good organizations. Church membership is different from all other allegiances, notably besides family, for one important, important reason we choose to become a part of those groups. You decide to join the yearbook club or the local pickleball league or whatever else. I'm not even sure if Washington has a local pickleball league. Maybe that's something we should pursue. It's not, I hate pickleball. Um, It's not a bad thing that that's decision-based. I'm not trying to make that distinction that church membership is good because it's not our choice and these other things are bad. That's not what I'm trying to say. But we cannot think of our church membership in the same way that we think about whether or not we have a movie pass card or a membership at Costco or whatever else. Church membership is not just another voluntary organization. 
It is not just another way for you to express yourself through whom and what you associate with. Rather, Jesus is expressing himself through choosing to associate with you by bringing you into this gigantic, weird, frustrating family that we call the global church. When we forget that Jesus chose us for his church and not the other way around, we fall into many sinful practices. We gossip, we feel entitled to different things, we don't want people different than us to join. Our sense of ownership fuels divisiveness, quarrels, judging of others, and literally everything that the apostles wrote the ancient churches to stop doing. Thinking that you chose to be a part of this church will drive you to try and control what sorts of people we allow in, since you think church membership is a reflection on you. But it's not. It's a witness to the Lord, and it's a reflection on him. In verses 21 and 23, Jesus says that our union with him and our unity with the rest of his disciples are very tightly bound together. You cannot have one without the other. The Apostle John develops this point further in the the, the book of 1 John, where he says that we cannot claim to love God whom we have not seen and yet hate our fellow Christians who we have seen. Paul, as well, urges the churches to understand themselves as united to one another because of their union with Christ. Colossians 3, verse 11 says, Here, in the church, here, there is no Gentile or Jew, uncircumcised or circumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. And I think the center of, the, center of gravity of this passage is verse 23, where Jesus says, I and them, and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Our union with Christ is demonstrated by our unity with one another. And our unity with one another tells of our union with Christ. Christians make some very big weird truth claims about the universe and life and death and the meaning of all these different things. Some things that are very hard to believe, some things that are very distant from our immediate circumstances. We've talked about this before, right? Many of the stories in the Bible, we've never experienced anything like that, getting swallowed by a whale and yada, yada, yada. Jesus says that our unity of membership in him with one another is the very best evidence that the good news is true. Not our arguments, not our charts, but our unity with one another. But this, of course, begs our next question, the third question, why is our unity and membership a witness? How does that work? And in short, the unity of the church is a witness because it demonstrates that the gospel is a more powerful story than all the other political, racial, cultural, and personal stories that we tell ourselves and use to separate ourselves from other people. When a group of people who are very similar to one another gets along, no one notices. Of course the chess club are all friends. right? Not to pick on the chess club, I love chess. I'm not any good at it, I didn't join the chess club. It's not at all newsworthy when a group sharing the same racial background, opinions, economic situation, and preferences gets along really well. Of course they do. That's the way of the world. That's how it works. 
It only becomes evident that something strange is happening, that God is at work. When you throw a group of people together who by all rights should hate each other, but they stick together and love one another, that is when the world sits up and takes notice. This is what Jesus is talking about. And this is exactly what Jesus did, both with his, both with his original gang of disciples and with us now. He gathers a mismatched group, gives them a mission, then stands back and says to the world, watch this. I think it'll be up on the screen, but you can jump over to Mark chapter 3, verses 16 through 19. These are the 12 that he appointed. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, to them he gave the name Benarges, which means sons of thunder, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Now, it's easy to skip over this as another one of the Bible's lists of names. It does love its lists of names. But consider for a moment who these men were. Right? Mark even gives us a little help there at the end. Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. We notice that they represent different economic brackets. The fishermen, Peter, James, John, are quite likely very poor. Matthew, who is a tax collector, would have been probably quite wealthy. They had different family connections. Some of them were brothers, some of them weren't related. They had very different, and I think this is probably the most relevant to our current moment, they had very different political affiliations. Matthew, as a tax collector, worked with the Roman Empire to tax the people of Israel. Simon, the zealot, was a freedom fighter who fought against the oppression of the Roman Empire. And Jesus puts both these dudes around the same table. We know that Simon's zealot buddies assassinated people like Matthew. Now, of course, Jesus' disciples were all Jewish. That Excuse me, that's true, but that changed in a hurry once Jesus poured out the Holy Spirit. Why didn't he choose a crew of a dozen fishermen? Why didn't he choose a bunch of tax collectors? Because the unity of God's people in the midst of difference is the witness to the truth and power of who Jesus is and what he's doing in the world. Now, I've been thinking about this, this idea, these ideas about the nature of church unity ever since a particular Bible study in China. I tried to find a picture of it just so you'd have some reference, but I couldn't, and it was late, and I had to cook bacon for you this morning, so I stopped looking. <clears throat> You're welcome. Um, but our group was very much a hodgepodge of different backgrounds and opinions. Two American Christians, myself and a teammate, a Chinese Christian, a few Tibetan Buddhists, and several Chinese Muslims. And I looked around the table, and I kind of had this moment where we were all you know, visiting and talking and talking about Jesus and reading the Gospel of Mark, where I looked around the room, and it, it just occurred to me that these groups of people do not have a happy mutual history with one another. In fact, it's ongoing right now, some of the things that are happening that, that the Chinese government is doing to its Muslim population. I thought about how these gentlemen wouldn't speak to each other ordinarily. They would have nothing to do with one another in their day-to-day -day lives. And yet there we all were, talking to each other, being kind, listening. How is that possible? 
because we had gathered around Jesus. Now, that Bible study wasn't a church exactly, but I think that in the same way, we gather together as a church not because we all agree with one another, or rather we shouldn't gather together because we all agree with one another, or because we're exactly like one another, nor even because we really choose to. We gather because Jesus has called us and he has promised to be with us when we do. Jesus is what brings us together, not our agreements about politics or ethics or even, depending on what it is, our theology about Jesus. It is him, himself, that is the glue that binds the church together. Our union with Jesus is what our unity with one another consists of. I may not like you, I do, but for the most part like all of you, but I may not like you, I may not want to ever really talk to you, I may, but we're in this church, we're in this together because you love Jesus and I love Jesus and we believe that he's brought us together. I'm kidding, I love all of you. Um, I really do. (laughs) This means that pretending to agree, acting like we're all the same, ignoring conflict, It certainly builds a false unity. It looks like we're all one big happy family from the outside. But I think it actually fails to attain the unity that Jesus is talking about, and it dishonors the Lord. It is in owning our differences and disagreements, not exulting in them, but acknowledging that they exist, that the supernatural source of our unity will shine out to our community. I don't have, this isn't news, but we're living in a time when it really does seem like our nation is beginning to get pulled apart by the seams. I like to tell myself that I take an elevated perspective on politics and things of that nature, but what that really means is that while I'm watching the news, my blood pressure, heart rate, and likelihood of shouting are all elevated. I've already preached a sermon on anger, so you'll have to just go listen to that one. (laughs) It's evident that we've forgotten how to disagree with one another well, with respect and dignity. I once listened to someone I love and respect lament this divisiveness in our country. Gosh, it's just so, you know, I, I wish it were different, you know, all these different things. And I think he was serious. And then minutes later, he pivoted and started talking about how democratic policies will literally destroy the republic. Can't have it both ways, folks. And we're all caught up in it. God help us. And we can't expect a politician or a social media company to fix what's going on. They're not gonna. In fact, this suits them just fine. Who better than the people of Jesus to begin to demonstrate a better way? How is the Lord leading us to witness in the midst of this season of divisiveness in the United States? There are a thousand answers to that question, but one of them, I am convinced, is that God's people in America can witness to him by sticking together in love and peace and real unity, even though we disagree about things. Washington, Metamora, Eureka, Peoria desperately needs examples of loving communities of people who come from diverse backgrounds, who earn different paychecks, who voted for different candidates, made up of people who watch Fox News and who listen to NPR. 
And nowadays, I think, well, so many words have acquired a political charge, but diversity is on that list, right? This unity that we're speaking of, that the Lord desires, is not diversity for diversity's sake. This unity and diversity is at the heart of the good news. The holy and almighty creator is not like us. We are made in his image, certainly, but he is not like us. However, he has linked the human family and himself together in the person of Jesus, in the body and blood of Jesus. God will stick with us all the way to the end. He will not forsake the covenant he has made with his people. Persons who are not like each other being reconciled is the good news. God and humans, Jews and Gentiles, on and on it goes. That's what it's all about. Difference is not eliminated in Christ. I think that it is made holy and glorious and a source of our witness. The Holy Spirit draws the attention of the world to the fact of the differences. Look at this. Men and women, rich and poor, immigrant and native-born, Democrat, Republican, brought together by Jesus. Because we know that none of those things are going to bring them together on their own. Brought together by Jesus, greeting each other with delight, breaking bread together like we did this morning, praying for one another, helping each other when the storms hit. The burden on my heart is that in this church, and in many churches, it's not just something that's, that's just a Calvary problem. I think this is a church in America problem. There are topics that we cannot discuss, ideas that must be ignored, opinions that have to go silent. Why? Well, because, you know, we don't want people to get upset. We don't want to disagree with one another. I don't think it's a good silence. And I'm not suggesting that every Sunday we should parade our disagreements. That's not at all what I'm, what I'm suggesting. Nobody wants that. We gather to elevate the Lord in worship, not to elevate one another's blood pressure. But I think that we must acknowledge the differences for the sake of unity, true unity, the unity that Jesus is telling us of, let us acknowledge our differences and demonstrate to our community our union with Christ by our unity with one another, even though we're not all the same. Practically, I think that this can look like us relearning to use the sentence, I disagree with you, in conversation with one another, here, at home, and at work, obviously with respect and wisdom and kindness. But I think it also has to look like us extending one another grace when we discover that someone disagrees with us or that someone is aligned with a camp that I'm not aligned with. And believe me, I'm preaching to myself. When I find out certain facts about people, (laughs) there's a wild swing in my uh, thinking about them, and it's evil, it's sinful. My hope and prayer, and I think this is true for Calvary, and I think we can make it more true, is that our commitment to one another and our commitment to Christ will prove more powerful than the forces, both human and demonic, that seek to divide us and to destroy us, and it's only going to get harder as we move into the future. God's people in America have a special opportunity to demonstrate how to be united 
in the midst of difference. Unity in the midst of diversity is one of the ways our church membership becomes a witness to Jesus. We love each other, not because we're all the same, but because we trust that Jesus has chosen each one of us to be a member of the big church in the world and part of the life of this particular church. Unity and difference is at the heart of the gospel. I am not like Jesus. I am, by the grace of God, slowly being made, being made more like him, but I'm not holy like Jesus is, not yet. I'm not strong like Jesus is. And yet, he, I am united with him, and he to me. And unity and difference is actually what God is. And Jesus hints at this multiple times in this prayer. The creator is not a single personality, but is in fact a community of three. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They are all equally God, but they are distinct from one another. And yet they belong to one another in perfect, unending unity. Jesus prays that we would be one united people, not only so that the world will see the truth, but also that we might share in the very life of the triune God. Jesus says, O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. May it be so for us, church. In Jesus' name, amen.